If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I mean, I would say Top Gun is about as indicative of what our lives used to be in the military, so let's just keep it going with Wolf on Wall Street. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Today, uh, we have an episode, and uh, it's built for all of our military members. And those military members that are looking to maybe do something after their military time, whether that's 23 years in the military, 11 years in the military, four years in the military. Uh, so today we got a lot of people, but before we get to them, uh, what we're going to say is thank you to all our listeners and uh, we appreciate all the uh, support you've provided us. Remember, please give us five stars and uh, rate the podcast on whatever you listen to. Uh, there's probably more admin, but I don't remember. So we'll get right into it. Today we have Kevin Shaka uh, Klon. See, I knew it. I told you. I, I built the wrong <laughs> mental model, and now we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got uh, Kevin Shaka-Klan. We've got uh, Mike Paco Benitez, which he's been on the podcast multiple times, and then Eric Bash-Straub. Uh, so now all three of these guys have uh, done many years in the military, have moved on to other things, and we're going to see uh, how they did it. Uh, so we can all try to follow in their footsteps if it's something you want to do uh, alongside the airlines or instead of the airlines. So, uh, Paco, I'm going to send it to you first. Uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself. As you know, it's not a trap. Yeah, I'll keep it uh, <laughs> short and sweet, and then we can dig into the details later. Uh, retired military after 25 years of service, and that's split between uh, eight in the Marine Corps and then 17 in the Air Force. Uh, Strike Eagle backseater done a bunch of different assignments and then we'll get into kind of how that shaped uh where i'm sitting today nice shaka send it yeah hey vader thanks for having me on uh looking forward to the discussion so a crew f-18 super hornet pilot so um uh the last couple years in the navy i spent uh, at the pentagon doing requirements for for both super hornet and then navy and jad uh, and then just recently retired and uh, started working at a company called uh, anderil defense technology company that i'm really excited to be at there so uh looking forward to the conversation today nice i have multiple questions about super hornet stuff because i'm in the f-15 ctx currently so uh, I've, nice. I've heard some stories uh bash go ahead and uh tell us about yourself yeah. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Air Force Academy guy. I wanted to be a pilot my whole life. Did Strike Eagles where I met Paco. Uh, was one of his young whippersnappers that he taught along the way. So glad I got to meet him there. Went to, in England rather. And then after that, went back to the schoolhouse, taught in the B course for two full assignments. So got a pretty unique opportunity, kind of how to shape your career after the military starts really while you're in. So Enjoyed that opportunity teaching at the B course and knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to do kind of post-retirement and went to Duke, figured life out and wanted to be a banker. So I live in Manhattan now, hence the, the apartment here in the background in my, in my bedroom. Uh, but no, loving it. I uh, work at Bank of America doing technology, media and telecom banking. So uh, Bash is in uh, Manhattan doing uh, Wolf of Wall Street type stuff, which I think you guys get a bad rap because I was thinking uh, earlier, I was like, you know, what movie can I reference that's like a good representation of like uh, stock market guys? And I was like, uh, Boiler Room, uh, awesome movie, but probably not a great representation. Wolf of Wall Street, Big Short, like there's so many movies about it, but so many times they kind of bash on Wall Street guys. Uh, bash, is there a, oh, no pun intended, the, uh, is there a movie? No, that's, I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. Yeah, the, uh, but it, what movie would you say best represents the life in the, the community there? Exactly the same, right? I mean, I would say Top Gun is about as, indicative of what our lives used to be in the military so let's just keep it going with wolf on wall street oh i love that yeah or are you more like and... 
Are you more like Leonardo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street or Michael Douglas in Wall Street, like Gordon Gecko? Are you? Which one are you? I'll leave that up to your imagination. No, <laughs> no, life is uh, <laughs> life is good. Let's go, Leo. Everyone wants to be Leo, right? Guy's phenomenal actor. Yeah. Did Leo end up? Uh, did he and that character end up going to jail for, in that movie? Because because uh, I know uh, Gordon Gecko's character, you know, he did. But so hopefully the guy who didn't go to jail, that's probably the best. I, but, I um, can tell you that I'm not going to uh, go to jail. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my goal. Well, that's what I want. I want like the the like success story that like ends in a success, not like high highs and low lows. But either way, we've uh, devolved rather rapidly. This podcast is obviously about talking about uh, how you guys got to where you are, but it's always a fighter based podcast. So fighter stories are always open. Uh, so, um, Shaka, let's talk about how, uh, so you're a Navy pilot, which I've heard that the stick and throttles are almost identical between the F 15 and the Hornet, but the Hotas is like worlds different. Is that accurate? I, I, so I think it is. I've got, I have one flight in the back of an F-15D, but it was like 20 years ago. Um, but I, but I think you're right. I don't think I appreciated at the time how similar that they actually were, but you're right. You know, a lot of the hotels, as far as how the Navy and the Air Force just, even though we're all bored out of the kind of the same uh, air to air communities and legacy and technology, a lot of stuff just has always been, you know, upside down to me as far as, far as how you guys think about target aspect and, and things are displayed in various hotels and hooking versus tucking and, and all these things. So, um, yes, those two aircraft are built essentially in the same factory, but, but, uh, and they, so they have some similarities, but definitely some differences. Well, I, you know, selfishly, I, I'm going through the TX, so I'm like, I appreciate. That the F-16 uh, HOTAS, which if, for everybody who doesn't know, hands-on uh, throttle and stick, I believe is what HOTAS, the abbreviation is. Um, but is it's so different. I mean, it could not be any more different. So there's very little negative transfer, which I talked to some Navy guys who are now flying, or Hornet guys who are now flying the C-model, and they're like, literally, the buttons are the same. They just do different things. And I was like, that'd be a nightmare. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, Bash, the, uh, you, you taught, oh, yeah. Bash, you taught in the FTU. Um, do, there used to be a thing when I used to teach there many years ago. I lost the penguin about, like, hey, here's how many me. functions that your hotest does. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, it's something like, you know, you know, 69 different functions of switches on your hands and throttle and stick, just for perspective. It's something crazy like that. Yeah. And you do like the shift hotest, control hotest, and up, down, left, right, long press, short press, double click. Speak the language. All that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a takes a long time to learn, but then your hands just. Well, in some of it, maybe you guys, uh, Bash, when you were an instructor, do you ever get to the point where you knew how to do it? Your hands would just make it happen, and then a student would say, "How do you do that?" And you're like, "I don't <laughs> actively know. Like I know, but I don't, I can't physically tell you what what button to push exactly." The crazy thing for me is I broke my foot pretty bad and I was only out of the jet for like six months or something like that. And I was kind of worried about it. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like, am I going to be good? Like it's been so long. And I remember strapping in for the first time, giving the crew chief the signal. And then my hands just started moving and it was just muscle memory. And I was like, this is weird. My hands are moving. Like, where are they going? <laughs> so it's, it's totally <laughs> muscle memory at, over time, I guess. Yeah, it's it's amazing just how how quickly you can just get right back into it. I did uh, I did one of those kind of VR simulator trainers at uh, AFRL in Kirtland, and it was just like this. I mean, total. It was like you're flying a C model with the A10 stick and throttle. You're but you're flying some random pod, and the Hotas is just like some random Hotas that the computer guys made up. But after like two days, it was like. Okay, like I get it, and now you would just operate normally because again, your your brain is just like sequences. Your your brain has become like a macro, and you just like do things, you know. So totally. well, then uh, totally. so Paco, oh yeah, so Paco, we'll get into um, in your military time. Did you obviously you did an entire career of twenty five years between the two? Um, did you have any opportunities, or did you kind of plan like, hey, this is what I want to do on active duty to help prepare me for the afterlife? Or was that more uh, just 
happened to work out and what best prepared you for it? Oh, let's say, uh, I don't think I did anything in the military for more than three years at a time. Uh, so every three years, you know, whether you like it or not, you get orders to go somewhere else. And so you move somewhere else. And then that job is has all different types of, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously the people are different. Some, the mission could be different. Uh, you could be pushing papers instead of, you know, being in an airplane, uh, the, there's just a lot to deal with. And I think collectively over time, as you gain those, you know, you put those clues in your clue bag and at the end of that, you're like, Hey, I've got a lot of stuff. Um, that I learned along the way, like, what can I do with it? And so every one of those kind of gives you different perspectives and kind of stretches you in a different way, professionally and personally. Um, so I really appreciated that. And that kind of set me up. And at the end of the day, I kind of looked around and I was like, well, um, I could stay, but you look at the, I looked at the finances and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, do I really want to be uh, a Colonel? What does the next four years of that look like? Uh, newsflash, all four years are terrible. <laughs> <because> <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the, the tax on the family and financially, and then in the time and you look at your earning power. So getting out of the military, uh, after 20, I, I came in when I was 18 out of high school. So I didn't even go to college. Um, but when you're getting out in your early 40s versus your late 40s is a uh, dramatically different uh, earning power over your lifetime uh, out in the real world. And so you started looking at those and like, man, I've, I've kind of been pushing my family around for long enough, like my entire adult life. Like, let's let's uh, let's put the ball in their court and give them some freedom of uh, choice. Uh, so that kind of set me up of like, well, what do I want to do? And I'll tell you that uh, when I got out, kind of spoiler alert, um, I never... I never filled out a job application um, and I never like went and sought employment. Like all of those things came to me. Okay. Um, which is, which is kind of remarkable. Uh, I announced that I was retiring and the first day I had, I had four inquiries like, Hey, we really want to talk to you. And, and I tell you that story because if you, if you back that train up like that, that's not just magic, right? That is uh, putting in the work and thinking through like who you are, what what is the value proposition of of you out in the world and what do you want to do and how do you align those things and i remember one of the one of the best stories i ever heard that kind of really put uh like the tweet level summary well it's not a tweet level summary but the uh there's a friend of ours i won't tell you who it is from uh, bash and i know very well and he was kind of doing the same thing getting out he had a, a stellar career as a fighter pilot he went to his first um like banking social for like you know a, a private equity and kind of investment banking and you know, they go around the room and they get to him and you know kind of like oh yeah here's who i am here's what i do here's where i live and, and he's like oh my god and so instantly he became the most interesting man in the room right and so everyone wanted to hear what he had to say a great storyteller and everyone's just having a great time to buy him drinks at the bar and he's like this is going great well then after about an hour and a half um, it gets, okay, let's talk, let's talk business. Like what can, what is your value proposition? How can you add value to my company? And, uh, you know, the train went off the tracks. So complete failure. Uh, so, you know, you can only get so far on, Hey, I was a fighter pilot, uh, at the, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, like what value can you provide to whatever you want to do? So find something that, you know, you enjoy go learn the tools of that industry that uh, Bash went and did, and then, you know, put that together, that same work ethic and those principles that you, you know, you did flying a jet, just, you know, you're changing the mission or use case, you're changing some of the tools, you change the lingo, and then, but really the work ethic and how you approach it is exactly the same. And what would you say? So uh, I'm going to throw down some of your background experiences. Correct me if I'm wrong. So obviously weapon school, you were a fellow in uh, DC, you worked in the test world, uh, and you were obviously in instructor, uh, like obviously going to weapon school. So out of all of those experiences, what would you say had the most transferability in, uh, to now what you're doing and then, uh, what best prepared you for a non-military career? I'd say none of them and all of them. Uh, I, no, no single assignment really prepares you for all that. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> so you think you're prepared and you go, Oh, I didn't know that. You know, I, I'm It's like the people, uh, you know, God love them. We need them. Like guys in the guard who, and they, you know, like they've, they've been flying a, the same jet at the same place for 15, 20, 25 years. And they have 
they have opinions, obviously have a lot of experience. They have sometimes strongly held opinions, but sometimes they lack perspective of like, well, actually like here's the bigger picture and here's how the other things that are going on, you don't know because you kind of been on an island of information. And so being able to bounce around, uh, like I said, I was in the Marine Corps before I was in the Air Force and it, just in my Air Force time, you know, I was in ops, uh, I was in the, uh, the FTU, the training unit, then I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to DC against my will um, which actually turned out to be fascinating. Uh, and I got actually assigned to Congress. So I worked for Congress uh, for a while. Um, and then I worked in the Pentagon for a while. And then I came to test for a while. Um, and I did some other stuff in between that. I did some time at DARPA, some time at Silicon Valley. And, and so collectively, like all of those things kind of inform, you know, professionally, like who I am and how I view the world. Um, so I'll say the Congress one was probably the most, uh, the biggest curveball because I wasn't supposed to go uh, anywhere and they're like, hey, I got a call saying congratulations and we'll see you on the hill next year. I'm like, what, what, what hill? What are you talking about? And then uh, they told me like, oh yeah, this, you're going to be a legislative fellow. You're going to go work for a senator. I'm like, what? Uh, and at the time, and it was the running joke, I'm like, I have no idea. And when I say I have no idea, I have like purposely like blanked that part out of the world of my life. I'm like, that's, that's sound, it's like, you know kids throwing crap at each other. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Like, I'm just gonna ignore it. So I had like purposely, even I know civics and how it all works, but I could not tell you when I got my assignment, I could not tell you what left or right meant or red versus blue. I'm like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, so I, that's how zero I was starting from. It's not like I had, I love politics and I ended up on the hill. I literally knew nothing. Uh, I'm like, great. So I went from zero to, to uh, you know, I guess a decent job during my year there and got some uh, good stuff done. Learned a ton, met a lot of great people. Uh, but yeah, just those things, like you just having an open mind and, and it's that process, just like when you, when you learn to fly the jet, you start from zero and then you learn how to fly an airplane and then you go to a more complicated airplane and, and you keep picking up experiences in that process of rapidly onboarding information, digesting it and being able to utilize it just having repeated that process so many different times in my career, that's really, I think, where the magic is. It's the sets and reps. It's not any one thing. When I think uh, spot on, because I've, I've said a few times on the podcast, I think we've probably talked about it, is that broad perspective is, is what gives people a better understanding of, of things they know and then things they learn in the future. Uh, and I, I wouldn't give up the experiences I've had and the perspective I've gained through those. So I dig it. Uh, so Shaka, we're going to shift to you. Uh, so obviously you were in the, you did your entire time in the Navy. Uh, but then you said you, uh, I, you got to do, were you working in test? Where were you working again before you got out? So my, my most recent job is coming out of the Pentagon, just doing That's requirements cool. and, uh, budgeting for like Navy programs. So F F-A, 18 and then uh, Navy and jet. That, okay. That's with a soft yeah. G, by the way. It, it is. We pronounce it with a soft G. It's not next generation air dominance. It's next the Air Force will say NGAD for their kind of next-gen uh, family systems, and we say NGAD. Yeah. Well, you know, it's – well, I've, I'm, I'm learning that also between N <laughs> different aircraft. We have to say different words because I can't say bug yes. out. I have to say separate. Uh, so, I, yes. you know, it's it, it makes sense because it doesn't make sense. Uh, so yeah. then uh, – so with uh, so with NGAD – or N – no, yeah, that's right. The yeah. – uh, so working in the Pentagon, uh, I assume you you gained, just like Paco was saying, some perspective that now helps you in uh, your current job? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll land there. But, you know, I first want to echo, you know, I think very similar thoughts to what Paco said, kind of looking at your career as a whole. And if I take a step back prior to that, you know, I don't. Um, you know, my current job, uh, I think the experiences I had the last couple of years working in the Pentagon, probably most directly have me suited to, to perform, you know, and to, to add value to kind of talk, you know, to, to reference Paco's story about, Hey, how do you translate, you know, who you are and what, you know, how, how you can add value, you know, most recently that job definitely prepared, uh, me to be where I am now. But if I look back at the, the career, you know, even taking a step further back, you know, I always asked myself along the way and an early mentor told me, you know, kind of the reasons to stay in the Navy were, were always for me, like, Hey, do I still love what I'm doing? Does it still work for my family? And is there something on the outside that, that, that is really calling me? And as long as those answers, you know, for most of my career for 20 years, like those answers were all kind of a pretty resounding, like, yeah, hey, I still love what I'm doing. You know, I, it still works for my family and, and there's nothing really outside the Navy that's calling me. But, 
you know, someone else early on said, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to hang up the flight suit at some point, you know, and you'd rather have it be at a time and a place of your choosing and to kind of be prepared to, to go do something else that you can be equally as passionate about, or at least maybe passionate about in different ways. So, you know, even though I think, you know, it's important along your career. So I was a JO in Japan, and then I was a weapons school instructor and kind of at each of those phases, you know, getting to, to learn new skill sets, kind of like Paco said, you know, every couple of years, the military is pretty good. At first, I didn't get it. It bothered me that they wouldn't just leave you in place and just let you get really good at one thing. Like, no, they're going to make you, you know, move jobs or, or do something else. But you create a pretty well-rounded person and leader who can think about how to tackle problems and who can think about, um, you know, how to deal with people and, and uh, you know, how to lead uh, up, lead down, lead, lead sideways, you know, that kind of 360 leadership mindset. So, you know, that's kind of cultivated throughout throughout your career. So I think we probably share that. The things that really stuck out in my career, I think that prepared me most directly for what, you know, uh, what I think, where I think I'm going to add value at Anderil, um uh, you know, several years ago, I had the opportunity to get an EMBA, and that was kind of a, you know, at some point the Navy or the Air Force is going to force you to get some kind of an education. So I think that's maybe maybe the first opportunity to be somewhat targeted with, hey, what are the things I'm interested in and education? And I imagine, um, you know, Eric will probably have some similar things to say about this, like being targeted with those educational opportunities to not only benefit you in your current job, but then to hopefully benefit you when you transition. So that was, you know, a decade or so ago, but getting that degree, I think gave me, you know, a financial competence and it was a defense focused EMBA. So a, a pretty decent, you know, deep understanding of the defense acquisition process and all the things that we <laughs> uh, love and hate about it, probably more hate uh, than love about it. Um, you know, but th there was that, you know, your joint tour, I, I, I was an instructor at the joint targeting school, which was a great opportunity during a joint tour to kind of pursue, um, you know, a, a career broadening experience. Um, I don't think it directly relates to, um, uh, you know, what I, I'm doing today, but it definitely gave me a lot of experiences uh, that I've been able to leverage. Um, just prior to coming to the Pentagon, and then, and then I'll end kind of with, with the, the experiences in the building. Um, you know, I, when I came out of command of an F-18 squadron, you know, I, I still didn't like it wasn't the road for me to get out was not clearly paved to go work in Anderil to go work. And, you know, like I still was, hey, I, I'm still loving what I'm doing. You know, I, I, kind of the answers to all those questions weren't really any different, but I knew I wanted to, to pursue another, another kind of educational opportunity. So uh, uh, I, I didn't get thrown on the hill like Paco did, uh, but I got to go be a fellow at a defense policy think tank. I was at, I was at CSBA for a year and that kind of, it was a bit of a choose your own adventure. And it just opened my eyes to, you know, people that are just, um, you know, there are other organizations and there are other groups of people where there, there's incredibly talented, purpose-driven, motivated individuals that you can work around and be a part of. And Paco, I know we talked about this when I was transitioning, you know, about it's cool working at a place where it's almost like being at a weapon school where everyone's passionate about a mission. And, and you know, that kind of resonated with me. And so at CSBA, like at a defense policy think tank, it, but it was small. There was, there was an element of that. That was actually really cool. It was actually kind of weird going back into the Pentagon where it's like I got – I got taken back out of this very kind of mission, you know, focused thing to a heavily bureaucratic kind of slow, you know, all the things that frustrate us about the Pentagon. But, you know, where I worked was great. I loved getting to work on, on hard things and, and, you know, doing the requirements, you know, like I just got deep in, I mean, the reality of what is our defense bureaucracy and, you know, the, 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 the way that we acquire weapon systems, you know, so that, you know, and even when I landed there, I don't think I knew that, hey, the road is going to a place like Anderil. It's maybe, you know, it's trying to bridge this, you know, defense technology. How can we deliver, you know, great technology to our warfighters on a pace that, that is going to outpace what our traditional, you know, primes might be able to do uh, and shield where, you know, where Paco works is, you know, I think getting after a lot of similar things. So, um all that to say is that, you know, it was throughout my career, all of Kodiak that general learning, but then like some pretty specific sponsor, both educational and positional things, Working I think, that led me to where I am. some minimum cybersecurity requirements that are in every contract. Complying with these requirements can be painfully slow and really take your company's focus off your military customers and end users. Thankfully, the team at Atomus has simplified the process exclusively for small businesses working with the military. It should be expected that security requirements are going to be a part of working with the military, but they don't have to be difficult. Learn why prior guests on the podcast like Arun from Ops Lab or Brian from Rescon use Atomus to comply with the NIST 800-171, 
DFARS, 7012, and C, MMC, cybersecurity requirements in their contracts. Check out their website at www.adamuscyber.com and tell them you heard about them from the Kodiak Shack podcast. Their website will be in the show notes. We appreciate all the companies that want to work with the military, and we understand working with the government isn't always the easiest thing, uh, but we appreciate companies like Adamus that make it just a little bit easier. Well, awesome. And I think that's when I got in uh, to the military, I, I kind of envisioned one thing, you know, flying planes. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. so many aspects to the military that you get opportunities to do things that were not as apparent when you're 22 years old, uh, you know, looking to light your hair on fire. Uh, so, Bash, now, uh, did you know you wanted to go to Duke when you were kind of getting into the military? Or was that kind of one of the uh, things that happened ladder in your career and you're okay I need to transition out and then how do you kind of set yourself up for where you are today yeah I think definitely not I I joined just to fly airplanes there's no like hiding that there's no oh I wanted to serve my country it was just blatantly I was a kid wanted to fly fighter jets (laughs) so I got the opportunity to get there I loved it like every single moment till the last day awesome hey bash I just want to on bash i just want to inject one more thing i think part of that that dream was to marry an arizona cardinals cheerleader and propose to her in your flight suit on the football field during a football game on national tv is that right that's a good plan (laughs) all of that yeah i think all all that happened but no i think once you achieve that goal and you're like living it, you're loving it. Like, well, we all just said it too. You can't do that forever. So what do you do? What do you go transition? What do you love? What can you bring? And I tried to do a lot of soul searching on what the military gave me or experiences that I, that I had that I can transfer. And in there, I was like, you know, trying to figure this out. I had a lot of good mentors who helped me kind of navigate some paths and Hey, if you don't know what it is yet, just, de-risk your life by going to get you know the best degree you can to make yourself the most competitive on the outside because alluding to what Paco was saying it is true it's a very cool story it's something to talk about it makes it interesting but more you got to figure in the, the compelling side of why should somebody hire you so what better way to do that than to just use the benefits that the Air Force has and GI Bill and and cash in on yourself invest in yourself so that you can arm yourself with whatever knowledge that it is, either finding out what you want to do or learning a skill. But I think that's kind of mentors of mine that said, hey, you should go look into this, and then maybe that'll help you figure that out. So that's kind of why I did it, because I knew that alluding also to Paco's comment about earnings potential, it's like, hey, if you're going to rip the Band-Aid off, do it fast and make up that lost time because even with a 10-year pilot commitment, you're still relatively young on the outside. So did that and kind of just the soul searching side that I did, I would say the people and the impact that we had and it's flying fighter jets, right? So obviously the people that you meet in the military, it's like, like people, we just had one of our Dawn Patrol reunions here in Manhattan, our first, you know, my first combat like deployment, we all came out here and hung out and it's, it's phenomenal and it's so much fun. And I wanted to try to find and either the camaraderie side, which, you know, a lot of times you don't have control over, but the, the hard charging tip of the spear, the people who are just like cream of the crop people, if you surround yourself with those people, they'll kind of lift you to whatever level you want to go to. So that's kind of one of the things I searched for. And then the other would be like impact, meaning like strategic impact. Cause you know, you can't take fighter jets with you, but I remember one combat mission of mine where we did something, immediately landed, went to the chow hall with our sunglasses on our heads, right? Head, who said head? And then basically just see whatever you did on the TV screen on CNN, like headline news when ISIS was kicking off. and I, that was the one moment for me where I was, I was like, holy cow, like we're just blocking and tackling. We're doing the stuff that I learned in the B course. And you, you do that and you don't really realize on the tactical level that you're operating at, how you can have significant strategic impact 
at a much higher level, like dime, instrument of power, military. And I was, I was kind of blown away by that. So that was the one thought outside of just the people that, like, that's what I want. And I kind of saw a similarity there after, you know, Duke talking to mentors, figuring out what was out there of can I move that impact, not in the military sense, but, you know, I saw that similarity in the, the economic sense. So going into a place like either banking or consulting at like the kind of the, mo the more sought after roles that are super competitive to get into and there's a st really strict pipeline. You go to X undergrad and to X business school and if you don't go there, you're probably not gonna get considered because it's, it's pretty true. And I was like, those guys and gals that do that, they have the same kind of impact just at a, the highest levels of business that impact the economy and the stuff that you do that you're in the trenches even when you're young you pick your you pick your head up and then you see something on the wall street journal and you're like wow that's cool so that's kind of what why i kind of made the decision to jump and i think it's a good decision whether it's banking or consulting or just like set yourself up for finding what that drive is and what you felt that you loved about the military right and there, there is something out there and educate yourself, use the GI Bill skill bridge. There, there's tons of resources that the military gives you or DOD in general, and then just go after it. And I would just say, go for the best of the best because if you don't make it there or you that's not what you want, you're gonna land pretty dang close to being successful. So that's kind of, and then the, I would say the other things is the skills that you learn. I think Paco nailed a lot of them. I think the academy and just luckily I was a flyer that's all I wanted to do my whole life but being able to handle stress outside of like whatever capacity that you thought that you could operate at the Air Force Academy and you know operating in, in an operational fighter squadron trying to solve tasks nonstop, tons of data coming at you at one time being able to process it with you know three other wingmen or however many other four ships or, or other assets in the air that are all communicating at once it's just the ability to like, don't get stressed, just process, de-risk whatever situation, don't get paralyzed by it and move on. And those skills, I would say as a whole, kind of, you can, you can immediately start applying that to, you know, the first day on the job, you have no idea what you're doing. No one's there to help you out. There is no like hand holding. There is no teaching. You just do. So you're like, okay, no one's here to hold my hand. Let's just go. And it's the problem solving, it's the risk, and how do you analyze all that, all that at once. So, yeah, happy to unpack a lot of that. And there's a lot, like, kind of one thing that we alluded at the start of the conversation is, you know, why not airlines? And I just, flying five jets, I didn't think, you know, point to point flying and, like, having that impact wasn't going to be there. And then there's a lot of other things that we can unpack of why not that route that's usually the, the typical easier path because it's, I mean, it's, it's a great living like being at home a significant amount of time that has some, there's a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses, but I just chose impact and more mental stimulation than anything else. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Well, and, and you you uh, referenced SkillBridge, which I think SkillBridge is really cool, which I didn't even know SkillBridge exists until I was already in the process of separating from active duty. Uh, but for those who don't know what SkillBridge is, uh, and uh, everybody here weigh in if, if I say something incorrect, it's, it's roughly, I think it's six months, where you can actually work with a company um, for six months while you are still uh, getting paid by the active duty uh to learn a new career uh, set or learn a job or anything like that. Uh, so if you're 
like uh, Bash, maybe th- if this is the way it worked out, you go to Duke, you have your degree, you end up getting a contact with a company, and then you skill bridge for six months, figuring out your life, and then you're not really falling without a shoot once you are uh, fully separated. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that kind of alludes to the point that I said earlier about de-risking yourself for another company to hire you is you, you got a cool story. They know you can bring a leadership. They know you can handle the stress. They know you can figure it out. It's just, you got to get something to, cause you can just talk about either an interest that you had and put it on your resume or actually learn a tangible skill. I chose that route. I, I luckily met some, some great people at Plexus Capital, low, lower middle market private equity firm to learn more of the investing side of the world and kind of prep myself knowing that I wanted to go work at a bulge bracket investment bank. And there's rather than just not doing any work and trying to just hope for the best, you plan way out in advance if you have time, right? That's the way to do it. But you, you put yourself in those situations and you learn and then, you know, it's something you can talk about like, Hey, I'm interested in this. And rather than just every other veteran, that you talk to that may say, oh yeah, I, I, I'm here. I was, I did this, I did X, Y, Z, and I'm really interested. You, you put a little bit more punch behind that when you say, you know, I did an, a skill bridge, which is a phenomenal resource that we have. It de-risks the company that would hire you for that skill bridge. There's an opportunity to work there as well, right? Like that's the whole point of it. And you can learn tangible skills and then, you know, set yourself up for success. So it's, it's kind of a no brainer if you're trying to figure yourself out because Congress said it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I talked to a lot of younger uh, military people, which I think it's, it's kind of unfortunate. And I know I was probably one of the dudes uh, who did this, uh, but like the next generation of like military members and fighter pilots specifically, they are, they are aggressively jaded. You know, they're like just pinned on captain. And like, I met a guy, he was a fape just finished pit and he was getting his ATP restricted ATP when I was getting mine years back. And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, just get ready for when I get out. And I'm like, you got like nine and a half years left. Like, but Hey, I guess, you know, (laughs) plan as long as you can. But, but I think there's, it's unfortunate because it's still, it is a great job. And I think everybody here wouldn't trade their military experiences for anything. Um, But also the flip side is having a plan preparing for when you're going to separate and do something. And, you know, it's funny you talk about skill bridge. Uh, I envision having just like gotten into the guard. You're it's like rushing the guard. You know, what does the guard want you to do? Come on out, bring a bottle, hang out with the bros. There's going to be, you know, the bro check. Uh, But that's, that's what it is. You show up and they're like, Hey, is this person a good fit? Are they a good dude? Are they going to work well with us? And that gives them a six month trial run that they, like you said, it it de-risks them in that way. Uh, Paco, one of the, uh, one of the things when you got at your current job, and uh, all the other things you've got going on with the uh, podcast, which I listened to the uh, pen, how the Pentagon buys things, and uh, very interesting, way over my nugget, but that's all right. Uh, but what would you say stress levels? And we'll kind of run through everybody's uh, stress levels compared to flying, instructing, and airplanes, and bad weather, and all that stuff compared to life now. Like, how do you feel like is the stress the same? Is it non existent? What do you think? Oh, well, I, I think I might be an outlier. Um, and I, and I say that for, for two reasons. Number one, I have more than one job. I have like <laughs> three jobs right now. So I don't know about you guys, but there's like 30 hours in my day, uh, and I don't sleep. And so that's, that's the, that's the magic by the way of how, how I'm able to kind of run around and do things. That's when um, you're delirious. You get, you get yeah. four more hours. That's right. So I definitely have, uh, I definitely have some stress and it's, it's completely like self-induced, uh, but it's positive stress. It's not negative stress. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy it. And so, uh, you know, it's like being in a fighter squadron and you're, you know, at the end of the week, you're like, man, I'm kind of tired. And if you actually, you know, mapped it out, like, dude, I worked 70 hours this week. Didn't feel like it. Cause I was having a good time. <laughs> I was around people I enjoy. I was doing things I love. Like, you know, the time flies and you're having fun. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing right now. Um, but I'd say that the transition is probably like the, you know, it's the great unknown. And, and I, I started putting a few things on my LinkedIn, uh, uh, uh post, whatever they're called, um, to be like, Hey, here's some nuggets that pick up along the way as I went through the transition. And, and 
it's like instructing like the the you know the longer you've been between like your last flight like you start losing relevancy and so I, as these things were fresh in my mind i want to just kind of capture them and, and put them out there for other people and i also was uh i felt like i was having some of the very repetitive conversations about people that were looking to get out in a couple of years like what should i be thinking about what should i be doing and uh you know shaka you and i talked for quite a bit about about transition stuff and i'm happy to have a conversation you know with anyone and i've had plenty of them but some of the things that were kind of the just the low hanging fruit of you know hey make sure you do this make sure you do that turns out the the checklist for uh retiring out of the military is non-existent to terrible but the <laughs> but the and the it's crazy i was it was a the running complexity joke. is really high yeah, the complexity is it's like you can just walk into a recruiting office and have a uniform on yep. by the end of the week but to take that uniform off for the love of god can someone fix that process i was going through this with uh uh, two other uh, uh, people at the same time, um, a, a sitting squadron commander, good, best, one of my best friends, and a sitting group commander. And we had this, uh, and there was two other people. So we had five people on this email chain for like 10 months. And it was like reply all, oh, it turns out like, this is wrong. You actually have to go to this building and this time. Oh, by the way, they're, they don't, you know, they've turned their phone off because they're, they don't want to answer the phone anymore. Even though when you walk in, this is like customer service is our mission. I'm like, well, well, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, so you have to deal with like, it's a thousand things. And some of those you have to get your ducks in a row, like early, early, like, you know, for instance, if you're going to get out, everyone's going to get out at some point. Chances are, if you flew fighters, like you have something you're going to claim with the VA, well then, oh, you you better have like lockdown, like life insurance before you file a VA claim because when you fill out your life insurance uh, paperwork, it's going to ask you, uh, have you filed a claim for disability? And you go, well, that's considered a claim for disability. So like little things like that, you're like, oh, I got to start. And if you get a policy at 39 versus 41, like the rates are way different because, you know, 40 is a, is a magic number on a piece of paper. Right. So like those types of things, you start kind of like, oh, I really have to plan about plan this out. Um, but the the other part of it is when you if you're more deliberate in your process of getting out. Uh, and, and making that transition and actually come up with a plan. Here's what I got to do, you know, month by month, just pick something small and do it. Uh, number one, it won't feel like, uh, you know, you climb a mountain like one step at a time and you won't just get caught in an avalanche of, of all the things that you have to do at the end. Uh, but secondly, it really sets you up for success and of what you want to do. And you kind of created that alignment of like, what do I want to do? Who do I want to go work with to do this thing that I want to do? And, and where you see a lot of people that, that retire or transition or get out and they, they go through, and I can't remember the, the number, but it's like 80% of people don't stay at their first job for more than 12 months after they separate. And I know that that's kind of a mix of different uh, career fields and, and uh, you know, enlisted officer, young, old. To, uh, but I personally know people that, I don't know, at least a half dozen people I personally know that went through four jobs in their first year, just bouncing around to different, like, like, ah, I didn't like those people. Ah, I didn't like that team. Ah, I didn't like that location. Like, man, you, you, you've really just dialed up your own stress for you and your family. Um, and not saying you can predict the future, but you can do that risk reduction that Bash talked about. Of just do, do your homework, man. Like, study for the test. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Paco. Can, let me let me add a little bit to that. So going back to kind of the Vader, where Vader started with that question, as far as like stress level at the new job, you know, that was something that I found in. You know, again, I, I had the luxury. I wasn't coming directly out of it. I wasn't retiring out of an operational job. So for those that are kind of like, you know, leaving command of a squadron and then you're trying to retire, like that's going to be tough. But if you have the time and the ability to kind of do your due diligence, you're going to kind of get a sense of the character of the kind of an organization that you're going to go to. And that's really important. You know, there's obviously there's, hey, what what's the industry that I want to work in? What's the size of an organization that I want to be at? But then really the, the one that's really kind of hard to scratch at, unless you just do the work to talk to lots of people is, you know, what's the character of that organization going to be like? So a quick example, I, I talked to a buddy and I won't name the company, but one of the big defense primes that a uh, buddy of mine had been there for about a year, he had left right out of command and we had a bunch of great conversations, but he was, I mean, he, he was like, yeah, it's like, it's been a really hard year. It's been a stressful year. And the idea, I think you mentioned it, Eric, like no one's going to tell you, like, you know, you show up as a post-command 05 or, you know, anywhere, you know, you're probably making, they're paying you decent money and they're not going to hold you. Like there's an expectation that most companies aren't going to hold your hand. 
and just tell you what to do. Um, but what I would say, like I, what I could sense from him, so I could sense that he was stressed and there was an element of frustration. And in some of these huge companies, like that's going to be very dependent, you know, like not, it's not going to be broad across the entire company. It might be specifically in that office working on that project or that thing. Um, you know, one of the senses I got with Andrew and I'll just, you know, quick story there. Like, you know, I mean, my first day on the job, Palmer Lucky, the, you know, one of the co-founder, founder Andrew, like he spent like three hours with a group of 20 of us just talking, shooting the breeze and like, like really kind of caring about us. And this is a company that's grown significantly. And my experience there in a very short period of time was that they actually like, they really do want you to succeed and they are pouring, they're, they're investing time. So like my couple months that I've been there have actually been spectacular. And it, it, you know, I, I was just out in Costa Mesa this past week and I'm still, I'm, I live in DC. So a decent amount of travel, but you know, and I was working 12 or 13 hour days. Like it was, it was long days, but like, it was not stressful because I was like getting back talking to engineers who are trying to solve hard problems for defense. And I'm, I'm helping them understand my perspective. And then I'm down and, you know, driving down to San Diego to talk to other companies that we might be partnering with. On th- I mean, like just super cool stuff. Um, so from a stress perspective, like, yeah, those like I'm a little bit outside of my comfort zone in some of those things, but it's cool and it's exciting. And that's, you, you can only kind of get that sense if you do your due diligence uh, and, and it takes a long time. Uh, to have those conversations with people as you're working on your transition. And not everyone has that time. And that's where, you know, Skillbridge is one of those great opportunities. If you need that kind of accelerated transition to, to almost, you know, date the company before you're re- you know, ready to go in and, and actually sign up to work with them. So um, I don't know, just a couple of thoughts on that. And Apaka, I'm sure you've had similar experiences at, at Shield as well, too. Yeah, um, there's there's a really fantastic quote from uh, from Steve Jobs. He was trying to hire this guy from Pepsi, and the guy didn't want to leave. And finally, he goes, "Hey, wh- wh- what's going on here? Do you want to sell sugar water? Or do you want to change the world?" And he's like, "Okay." It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. The uh, so Bash, I imagine, which obviously never having uh, worked in your uh, profession currently, uh, is it. Is it pretty stressful, would you say, for uh, for your current job? And do you find yourself more stressed than you were previously? Or do you feel like it's just, it's stress, but it's just different? Oh, Yeah, it's, oh, oh, I mean, stress oh. is so different for everybody. And people, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. Cool. Uh, stress, I think stress is so different for everybody. So it's definitely a tough, good and tough question to answer. I think it's not life and death. I think it is stressful, like the other guys have said, about going into a new place that is incredibly technical and that is, it's a skill set that takes a significant amount of time to learn. But, I mean, just like you can't hop into a four-ship flight lead, wait and marshalling with, you know, 24 airplanes waiting to push to cross fight some people approach right you got to start somewhere if you have that mindset it's stressful we're helping math make strategic decisions to either acquire other businesses or what what value can we bring to them and increase their their performance overall so shareholders job is always i was making it finishing a you're grinding, but you're learning and you're building that set. So, you know, the feeling that we all had when you first get into your T6 or maybe, maybe a different plane, you're, you have no idea what's going on. And just that can do attitude, surround yourself with those people and it de-risks that and you'll figure it out. Like everyone, everyone in the military make a jump and be successful. You just have to prep yourself for it. You've, you've got the keys to the castle to handle the stress, to figure things out. You've got to jump in and realize, like, hey, I, I am new at something, but I'm going to learn it quick because I've had the experiences that I've had previously. So, yeah, I, I would say there's stress, but some people may say, say differently in the job. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I've had, had a mild amount of experience with, but kind of what you guys alluded to a little bit is, is you're kind of, you're figuring it out. And, and one of the things that we all had the benefit of is when we're going through formal training, like, uh, you know, in the military, it is tested. 
I mean, they've been training pilots and wizos and people for decades and decades and decades. And it may not be the most advanced way to train people. It may not be leveraging AR and VR and the technology that exists today. But what it is, is it's something that they, every three weeks, they are starting a new class of, you know, six to 15 students and they know how to train you. And what you do have is you, you actually do have a lot of handholding in the military, you know, with your military training, there's very deliberate assistance, sometimes even teaching the test. Uh, so you can focus on your, your flight that's coming up because there's just so much to learn. Uh, so I think that is a, a difference between the two things where sometimes like at Andoril, you can, you can kind of get that exposure, but there's not somebody who's like, you are the student, this is your instructor. Right. They are going to step you through over and over and over, and you're going to get academics on it. Then you're going to study it. Then you're <laughs> going to get more academics on it. Then you're going to do a simulator and then you're going to fly it. After you fly it a few times, you're going to be tested on it and you're going to expect you to know it. Like yeah. that's just, that's not anywhere All else. The, very, the only thing I will say to that though, is that, you know, so I agree hundred percent. You're right. There, there is not going to be, the military is very good at that. Something that Andrew did and a lot of, I think good organizations will do though. Like we had a week long onboarding session that was probably more productive and, and, um, <laughs> You know, basically, you're more ready to jump off and be a part of that organization than I had ever seen in the military. And I kind of wanted to go back and be like, hey, we need to like relook at our command in doc programs and our because it might take you a month, you know, took me a month to get, you know, swipe access to anything in the Pentagon. Um, and, uh, you know, even by the time I left, I didn't have all the accounts I needed. And, and it's like, you know, like it, so uh, a high performing organization, organization, I think, is going to know. Um, you know, how to get quick people quickly up to speed. And that's actually probably a good question to ask, you know, when you're, you know, when you're trying to figure out, is this the kind of organization I want to go to ask them about, Hey, how do you, how do you onboard new people and how do you train new people to come to, to become a part of the organization to understand you're right. It's not the same as far as like, you know, a syllabus of teaching you how to fly form. Um, but I would say that any any top performing organization is going to want to have at least a little bit of that. Or, or if the answer is no, if that sounds gross to you and you don't want to go through a week of indoc, there are plenty of organizations out there who don't do that, and they're just going to throw you in the you know. So, but it's a part of that that kind of figuring out where you're going to go. Yeah, I'll highlight um, when I uh, I went through. I've lost track. I think I've had five job titles in the time that I've worked at Shield AI. <laughs> and that was you know it's a company that's growing and it's it's adjusting and uh, you know. It's a it's a nascent market for uh, applying autonomy and artificial intelligence to uh, to air vehicles. But um, what I ended up landing on was uh, in the product role. So I don't do business development, and that's kind of a, a wheelhouse for I think a lot of people who who end up uh, transitioning. I actually um, help build the product. So it's uh, I love my job because it's it's a little bit of business development. Um, so I get, I get out in the road and get to see people I know and have had, you know, life experiences with in the air force and the other services, which is great. But then I also have to go talk to the engineering team and, and kind of coordinate, like, what is the, what is the work to be done? What is the timeline? What does the customer actually want? And then translating that into, uh, into engineering speak. Uh, so I'm kind of like the Spanish to English translator, the guy from office space who, uh, talks <laughs> to customers. To the, yeah. I got paypal <laughs> skills. Damn it. I didn't expect from the engineers. To the That's customers. right. That's right. So I do a little bit of that, <laughs> but, um, but when I moved over to that job, um, uh, in a tech company, um, a product manager or director of product, those are like positions, like they don't really exist outside of tech. So as I went into that job, I'm like, Oh, that's great. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I mean, I can figure it out. <laughs> and, and the, the question wasn't be, we'll figure it out. It's what do you need to be successful? I'm like, well, if someone can, if there's a way that I could learn a few things they're like, okay, well, we'll come up with some ideas and let us know. I'm like, okay. Well, so by the end of the week, it's like, Hey, here's some online courses. Hey, there's a, here's a, a business course at Wharton. That's like how like on product management, I'm like that would probably be useful. Like, okay, like here's a credit card, go sign up for the course and go get smart on, on how to do your job. Like, okay, great. And so I was able to add, you it's know, awesome. I took a course from there, learn how uh, the kind of the principles of product manager, so I can learn a little bit of the language and lingo and then you apply it to the situation. And so it's just foundational, um, you know, academic, but super insightful to have that perspective and the support to, again, really like it's, <laughs> we say, uh, you know, do, don't say, 
so the fact that like we want you to be successful like no we're putting our money where our mouth is like here go get smart and then come back and, and show us what you learned yeah and i think one thing i i think and bash kind of alluded to this before or spoke deliberately to it uh was the military gives you chances to to do things like that, you know, with maybe maybe your IDE or your your professional military education isn't always the best, but whether they give you an opportunity, they pay for you to get an MBA or they or they can send you to, you know, DC or you work in the Pentagon, you get perspectives um, that you wouldn't always get. So before before we get going, I'm going to pass it around the room. So uh, take take the opportunity uh, to kind of think of something. So you guys, all three of you are standing on the opposite shore of the river, having already separated, looking back at yourself and the rest of the military members uh, who haven't kind of traversed that. So uh, I'll ask you in a second is kind of what is your perspective now having separated, having or retired, having started a new career, and what would be something you would provide to someone uh, who's, who's looking to do that. So I'll, I'll kind of provide some input while you guys are thinking about that. Uh, but it, whatever, this episode was to try to provide a broader perspective and understanding for those who are looking for a, after, uh, this episode's called, uh, on the outside. Um, because that's, that's kind of what we're doing here is looking from the outside in. So obviously the airlines are always an option for people. Uh, and I, I don't think there's anything bad about it. One of the things that Shaka and I talked about before we started recording was I know multiple people, multiple people who've been on this podcast previously, are airline guys and in the part time in their spare time are spending time in innovation, spending time doing things that they're passionate about. So it doesn't mean this episode is not to stop people from going to the airlines. It's to help people who are most likely type a, who are used to mental, like, uh, mentally challenging, uh, undertakings and, and still getting more and more of that as they move on. So, uh, Paco, we're going to send it to you first. Uh, so what do you, what advice or what perspective can you send to those looking to do what you've done or something similar? I'd say that, you know, if you go back and, and you think of a time in your career in the military where you were uncomfortable, where I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. I don't know if I can do it. And you find a way, it all comes together in the end. And that, and, and over time, I think some people, you forget those, those times that you're, that period of uncomfortability where you're just like, I don't, there's too many unknowns. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and my advice is, you know, think of that and just be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is a, it is a very big world out there. There's so many things that you can do. And by challenging yourself to just stay uncomfortable and pushing yourself in different directions will, will give you um, that perspective to, you know, that, 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 uh, that shore on the other side is not as far away as you think it is. And the water is not as deep as you think it is. I dig it. Bash, what do you got? I would say bet on yourself because you'll succeed no matter what. So like, don't be afraid of it. And I would say there's, there's a line that needs to happen. Like if, if, if we join the military and we're pilots, or even if you just owe four years or whatever it may be, that's going to creep up really, really fast. And the advice would be don't get out with your pants. Two years left, one year left. Like try and even if you know you want to go to the airlines or know generally what you want to do, like keep pushing yourself for whatever that other passion would be. And I would say, you know, there are some risks in the airline. What if you get hurt? What if you know, innovation's happening. What if pilots go away? Like it's a risk. You're betting on that for 30 years, right? Like that's significant. So like, there's a lot of like, think about risk, but always have an, another option. Always be pushing yourself for like, even if the guy that you were talking about Vader, that's like, yeah, I'm young. I'm going to the, the airlines. A lot can happen in that time. Just keep seeking something else and keep finding what other thing is out there that you would be interested. In, and that'll help keep you like mentally in the, the fire drill and then it can maybe force you to go take advantage of some of the programs push yourself to go do school to de-risk that decision and then instead of just being like oh my gosh i'm a year out what do i do it's i mean i got this option i don't know if i want to do this but i did x y and z in the past i'm set up for that it's the optionality to be able to do whatever you want rather than wait like don't wait reach out Everyone said networking. That is probably the most important thing I have learned in my life so far 
not even in the military, but like four years prior to me getting out now, it just gets even more and more crazy that the people you know are going to make moves for you and just reach out and talk to people. And if, if you think you have an idea, reach out to Shaka and ask him, like, what made you do this? Like, just have these conversations. The network will build. An idea will tip off. It'll force you to go do something else and just jump in because it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen soon. It's gonna... Yeah, I dig it. Shaka, last one. What do you got? Cool. Um, agree with everything both uh, Paco and Bash said. What, what I would say, you know, I heard this on a podcast talking about, you know, throughout your career, you've got times where your head's down, where you're really focused on the now and what you're doing. And, and we need fighter pilots who are doing that, right? We need people who are, who are passionate and, about the mission and, and they're, they're in there. But, um, but then there's times when you're kind of heads up and you're looking out on the horizon and you're growing, you know, whether that be you're growing for the purpose of just being a better leader at some point in the military or you're growing in the purpose of what might be out there later. So, you know, I, I think throughout my career, if I look back to maybe the first five to 10 years of my career, I actually was pretty terrible about that heads out time. I was very heads down focused. Uh, and I don't think if, if I'd have been forced to pivot, if I'd have been, you know, if something would have happened where I would have gotten out of the 10 year mark, I would have been a little bit, you know, maybe not, not really sure what else was out there. Right. So, so I think that's one thing. So then, you know, what I would say is that, you know, throughout each of those kind of heads up, in those kinds of phases in your life, whether it's continuous or whether it's episodic, uh, the things I, I would, would consider, um, I'm going to land with what Bash said with networking, because I do think that's the number one thing. Uh, it's not a dirty word like I thought it was for like the first 15 years of my Navy career. Um, but um, the two other things I'll throw out and then I'll, I'll but I do want to land on networking. Um, education, right? You know, that's also not a dirty word and it comes in both formal and informal. So, you know, I remember there was a time of, you know, being a young J.O., just being jaded and thinking education was a terrible, you know, not not just really concerned about educating myself. So informal, like I listen to a ton of podcasts and it goes, I go through ebbs and flows. Like sometimes they're very business oriented podcasts. Sometimes they are um, uh, uh, military and strategy and, and, and news, you know, wh whatever that is. But I think that's good. Uh, and books as well, whether you're reading or listening to them. Um, and if you can pick up a degree or, you know, a fellowship or something like that, those are all good things. So look for those opportunities. Uh, I would say consider a side gig at some point if you're interested. So, you know, two of the four of us, um, have podcasts that they do as essentially side gigs to something. And I don't know what your main gigs and what your side gigs, uh, and bash, I don't know you well enough to know if you have a side gig, but I will say I, I started, uh, buying real estate, like in 2011, 2012, a lot of people do real estate as a side gig. Um, I have three short-term rentals right now. It's big shock of properties is my, my kind of property. I manage them remotely and they're, they're pretty lucrative. You know, they're, they're at different locations. I get to scratch the itch of a lot of things that, that I love. Like I lead small teams of operators because I manage these properties remotely. I do all the customer engagement. I do the dynamic pricing. I, you know, I, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's actually a fairly active thing, but it's a side gig. It's pretty lucrative and I really enjoy it. So consider that, you know, uh, and, um, and then the, the, the last one just being networking. So as I educate myself about real estate and how to be a better short-term real estate investor, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to there, the short-term shop, they always say, hey, your network is your net worth. Um, and I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but it's it's not too far off, right? Like, and the reason why I think it's, you know, what I focused on um, a wide intentional and continuous network. So being intentional about building relationships, being intentional about reaching out to people. It's not about what can you do for me? It, it, if you approach it with an attitude of more of like, Hey, this is a person I want to be connected with. And I hope that I can help them out sometime. Um, you know, it's not transactional, it's relationship, uh, building, uh, all of those things, you know, it, it, people that have an attitude of abundancy versus scarcity with their network, I think tend to be pretty well, i.e. it's not some piece of the pie that I'm trying to hold on to. And I'm just waiting for the right person to come along so I can offer up some favor so they can then in return, give me something back. Like that's, I think I had that perception about networking for a long time. Whereas now, like I just, I love, I've got people in all sorts of different industries that I was able to call up, build relationships with, and really helped me as I transitioned. I was really glad that I spent several years intentionally trying to build out my network. That was probably the number one thing that helped me. So awesome. Well, I appreciate all everyone's input. And uh, for all those uh, young military members uh, listening, we all enjoyed our time in the military because we were present. We enjoyed the people around us. We enjoyed the experiences. Uh, so 
focus on the future, understand that there will be life after the military, uh, but enjoy the heck out of the military while you're in it because it is an awesome experience. Even when you go to the Garden Reserve, it's going to be similar, but it's not the same. Uh, and sometimes those uh, those struggles that you're going to experience, those bad deals in the military, end up being uh, experiences that you you look up back on fondly. So uh, I'll put people's contact info in the uh, show notes if they're cool with it. Uh, so if you do want to reach out to one of these guys, if you do want to uh, kind of increase your uh, network, um, then uh, you can reach out and, and gain some knowledge uh, about kind of things out there beyond that for podcast stuff. Uh, thank you everybody for uh, donations. Donations are always open. Thank you to our sponsors. And, uh, again, five stars, give us a rating and, uh, and check out the merge podcast. Cause it's pretty sweet. And it's, uh, it's way smarter than, than my podcast. That's for certain. But, uh, guys, thanks for, uh, for joining me on the podcast and, uh, I'll see you next time. And thanks, Peter. <laughs>